why I'm preaching this message today, other than the fact that I'm convinced it's God's will for us this morning. Um, when God actually, a few weeks ago, started working on my heart about it, um, uh, I, in normal fashion, tried to argue with God. Um, then, and that didn't, that didn't work too well. Um, but really, that song and this message are, are, are interconnected. Uh, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Every so often, something happens in our lives that cause us to recall certain days or events that happen in our lives. Uh, 9-11 is one of those, those days. Uh, those, those of you that are in this room that were old enough to remember, uh, if I went through each row, you could tell me where you were when you heard about it. As I thought about that, you know, th- there um, there are events in my life that I can I can remember. Uh, I'm old enough to remember. Uh, I don't remember uh, hearing about President Kennedy's assassination, but I remember um, all the schools were closed that day of the funeral, and I remember sitting with my dad, with me me on my dad's lap as a little guy and him explaining to me what was happening on TV. And I remember seeing the carriage, the horse-drawn thing and all that and, and, you know, not understanding the ramification, but I remember it because because it was an important event in my dad's life, so it, it, it then resonated with me. I remember the the end of the Vietnam War. I remember the day that my we got the news that my my brother had committed suicide. I remember the day hearing the news when President Reagan had gotten shot. I don't know if some of you remember that. <clears throat> Tragedy, unfortunately, is a part of life. This week I attended a funeral service for my aunt, my mom's oldest sister, which my mom died last May and then uh, her oldest sister um, just about a month or so ago. And the older we get, the more those kinds of events we end up having to deal with. And our, 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 our pool of family and friends seems to get smaller. The other day, in fact, it was last Wednesday, a pastor friend of mine in North Carolina posted on Thursday that uh, a family in their church had come to church on Wednesday uh, for prayer, prayer, their 
prayer and Bible study time. And when they got home from church, their house was burned to the ground. They lost everything. The only thing they had was the clothes that they were wearing. Needless to say, the struggle taking place in Israel today. And, and we could go on, I could go on and on and on and on. And, and that, that's not the point. The point is this. Tragedy, unfortunately, is just part of life. And the key is how do you deal with tragedy? The title of my message this morning is Tragedies Do Not Have to Be Tragic. Tragedies do not have to be tragic. Thomas Edison was an inventor. <clears throat> Most of us know that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, he invented the microphone, the phonograph, the incandescent light bulb, the battery, uh, talking movies, and over a, a thousand more things. In December 1914, he was working in his in his in his uh, workshop on on the on the battery, and a fire broke out and in, in the in the film room. Uh, within minutes, uh, everything was destroyed. The building burned to the ground, more or less. And Edison was, at, at the age of 67, was standing there watching everything that he would work for all those years just go up and smoke. He had built a building out of concrete, thinking it would be fireproof. So he only insured, you know, he only insured it for um, $238,000, but it was worth, you know, all, everything inside it was worth in excess of $2 million. So here he is, standing there watching it burn and everything just going up in smoke. The inventor's 24-year-old son, Charles, uh, searched frantically for his father, and he finally found him calmly watching the fire, his face glowing in the reflection, his white hair uh, uh, blowing in the wind. My heart ached for him. He was 67, year old, 67 years old, no longer a young man, and everything was going up in flames when he saw him. He looked at his son Charles and he said, Charles, where is your mother? When I told him I didn't know, he said, find her, bring her here. She will never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there is a great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. Three weeks later, Edison managed to deliver the first phonograph. See, he had the ability to take tragedy and turn it into victory. Or many people would look at that and they would say, what's the point? What's the use? In 1 Samuel chapter 30, David was a man in exile. David, David and, and his men had, had uh, fled Israel because uh, the king, 
King Saul had uh, wanted to kill David, and it wasn't even David's fault. But uh, King Saul was jealous of of David, and uh, <clears throat> so David and his men fled fled Israel. They were they were in exile. They 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 ended up going to the land of the Philistines. And uh, the king there, his name is Achish, and Achish and David made a uh, uh, an agreement, I guess you'd call it, and. Basically, David said, you know what, uh, I'll, I'll even fight for the Philistines if you let us live in, in, in the land of the Philistines. So Achish the king and David uh, make this agreement, and, and Achish gives him an entire town. He says, he says I'm going to give you an entire town for you and your men to live in. And the name of that town is called Ziklag. Uh, most archaeologists that I've been able to understand it was a, it was a border town uh, clo- it was in Philist- in the land of the Philistines um, but it was close to the border of Israel but they uh, Achish gave them the land or the town of Ziklag let's start reading and uh, well bef- well let me say this uh, before we get into verse one here uh, David and his men ha- are off fighting actually, and and they're they're not home. So in verse one, it, this what takes place is the fact that David and his men are gone. Let's start reading in verse one. It says, <clears throat> "And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that uh, that the Amalekites had invaded uh, the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire." And had taken the women captive that were uh, therein. They slew not any, neither great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and their men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept, until they had no more power to weep. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you uh, for this day. And Lord, thank you for you, the Word of God that, that has the ability or the, 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 the power to address every area of our lives. And Lord, as we think of this idea of tragedy, we think that there's not one person in this room that is immune to tragedy. Lord, help us. Help us this morning. To allow you the the opportunity to speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here you have a situation that's kind of unique in the sense that David and the Philistines are, are really enemies, but yet David is living in the land of his enemies. And David and them are, uh, his men are off, and uh, when David and his men come back to Ziklag, the, the Amalekites came and, and uh, destroyed the city, and took everything, uh, looted the city, and took everything away. 
My first point this morning is really, really, really important. Please get this. Point number one. After a tragedy, mourning must take place. You've got to allow yourself the opportunity to mourn. Look at verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. I really, I really want to help you here. Because as, as, as the years that I've been a pastor, I've run across many, many people that, that, that for whatever reason, I, and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, when tragedy comes into their lives, they, they mask their feelings. And they never allow themselves the opportunity to mourn. And here is a wonderful picture of, of the fact that God not only uh, uh, gives us the ability to mourn, but he wants us to mourn. Because when we mourn or we grieve, it is, it is part of the healing process. And everybody mourns differently. I, I know people that, that, that just cry and cry and cry, and then I, have, I know some people that just get really quiet and get kind of inward. But is the, the process here is the fact that you need to allow yourself to mourn. It is absolutely critical <clears throat> to your well-being. It is a God-given mechanism in, in our lives to help us deal with pain, hurt, and confusion. Mary, the mother of Jesus, mourned. In, in John chapter 20, verse 11, it says, But Mary stood outside, or, excuse me, without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Here Mary is. Now, 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 now picture yourself here, okay? Um, uh, she's standing at the sepulcher and she's weeping. Can you, can you imagine just for one second the thoughts that were going through her mind? What, what, what has taken place here? Okay, the resurrection had taken place. Jesus was gone. So, so what were what you talk to me here? Talk. To, to, what were some of the emotions that were she was going through? My son is dead. What did they do with my son? Anybody else? Can, can you imagine the, the 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 overwhelming flood of emotions of a mother that had lost her son for crimes that he did not commit? And yet he was gone. Scary day. And she stood there and she wept. She grieved down deep in her soul. 
And here in the in the in the in the passage that we just read in verse four, it says that they wept until they had no more tears left. Have you ever cried like that? Most of us have. Usually it's for a usually it's for a loved one. Sometimes it's for a situation, something that happens that that hurts us so deep. And we are so confused and we, we don't understand. Have you ever been to the place where there was nothing, there, there, were, there, there was no, no words left? Where your grief just seemed to never end and there was nothing left to say? That's mourning. Tragedy does not have to be tragic. Number one, after tragedy, mourning must take place. Number two, boy, you you might be thinking, man, he's going fast this morning because I only have two points. So we're at point two and yeah. I'm going to be here a minute, though. Point number two. After mourning, one of two things will happen. One of two things will happen. And I've seen both of these happen in people's lives. Latter A, we can become bitter. Look at verse 5. And David's two wives were taken captive. Ahinoah, uh, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his son and for his daughter. What had taken place? After they were done crying and there there were no more tears to shed, what did they want to do? They wanted to kill David. There is a saying... And I have it written in my Bible next to this verse 6. And I believe this to be very accurate and true. But in my Bible, I have written next to verse 6, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. I have seen family members hurt other family members in unbelievable ways. I have seen friends turn on each other. I have seen church family lie and hurt one another because they're hurting everybody needs to hurt like me. And unfortunately it is a It is a process that we have seen 
played out so many times in life. Here these men... Well, let's read verse 6 again, the, the first part of it. It says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him because their soul, the, the, because the souls of all the people were grieved. Why were they mad at David? Did David do anything wrong? Some people would argue they shouldn't have been in, in Ziklag, but I mean that's but that's not the point. <clears throat> When people are hurting, what do they do? Oftentimes, they get focused on the circumstance that is causing the hurt. And when they do that, they allow bitterness to take root in their hearts. And David's men had lost their focus on the real enemy. The real enemy was not David. The real enemy in this story were the Amalekites. But they were hurting so bad. And they had lost the focus on who the real enemy was. They were taking their frustration out on David. And David's men were upset, and and rightfully so. But who was the real enemy? The real enemy was not David. Bitterness. Bitterness is something that will literally destroy us from the inside out. Bitterness is like a cancer. got a question for you. Actually, I got a couple of questions for you. Was was David's wives taken in the raid like everybody else's wives? A- a- absolutely. W- were David's children taken in the raids? A- absolutely. Did did David lose all his material possessions in the raid? Uh, yes, just like everybody else. But oftentimes what happens is this. Well, he's the leader, and we weren't home when it happened, so it's his fault. Now that's skewed rationale, but oftentimes that's what we do. We have to look for a reason, and we need to look for someone uh, to, to blame. But that's what happens when grief or bitterness takes over in our lives. Unfortunately, the bitterness in our lives affects the people oftentimes that are the closest to us. And when we, when we hurt, oftentimes our goal is to hurt other people. I have seen bitterness destroy families. 
I have seen bitterness just absolutely destroy individuals' lives. Friendships. and I've seen it ruin churches. All because of bitterness. Unforgiveness. Tragedy becomes tragic when we let bitterness win. In Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, there's a, an interesting exchange takes place. If you're, I, don't have, I don't have time this morning to go into all of it, but, but Ruth and her family, they leave Israel. There's a drought in the land, and, and, and uh, Ruth and her husband and their two boys, they go, they go away, they leave Israel, they go into a, a foreign country. Uh, I'm totally drawing a blank on the country they, they went to, but anyway, that's not important. Um, in that country, while they were living there, her husband dies and her two sons. And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, comes back to Israel with her. That's where we pick up the story here in Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So they went unto... Uh, 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 excuse me. So they went... Uh, So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, this is Naomi. In other words, Naomi is home. But what does Naomi say in verse 20? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Almighty hath uh, dealt with me, uh, uh, dealt very, very bitterly with me. What what had happened was uh, Naomi <clears throat> came back home finally with Ruth, and and uh, she she said, "Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, or call me bitter." Why? Because she had allowed bitterness to take root in her life. But then the book of the book of Ruth is an incredible book. If you've never read it, it's not a very big book in the Bible, but please read it. It's incredibly powerful, and it and it is it is an incredible demonstration of the love of God in in, in people's lives. In Ruth chapter four, verses thirteen and fourteen. So it says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife and uh, went he uh, and when uh, he went in unto her the Lord gave her a conception and she bare a son verse 14 and the, the women said unto Naomi blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman that his name may be uh, famous in Israel. And verse, drop down to verse 17. And the women, uh, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi was the great grandmother, great great grandmother, I guess, yeah, great great grandmother. Of King David. 
Out of her bitterness, she allowed God to overhaul her bitterness and she put away the bitterness and God ended up doing something really great through her life. Moses is another one that uh, was on the receiving end of bitterness multiple times in the, the book of Exodus. But let me share with you an example of one of the, some of the stuff that Moses had to deal with. In Exodus chapter 15 and verses 22 to 24, it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and uh, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they come to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah, for they uh, uh, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of the place was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, "What shall we drink?" Here it is again. The same, the same as David. David, David had nothing to do with the Amalekites coming and burning the city and taking all their families. And Moses had nothing to do with this water being bitter. But yet, who gets blamed? Moses. Why? Because the people were focused on the situation and allowing the situation to allow bitterness into their lives. And instead of looking to the God of heaven for an answer, they turned their wrath on Moses. God, once again, demonstrates his love, just like he did with Naomi. And he demonstrates his love for the, the, the children of Israel. Now, now let, let me ask you this question. Did the children of Israel deserve God's love? No, they did not. Let me ask you an even more important question. Do you deserve God's love? No. There's not one of us does. But yet he, he demonstrates it over and over and over. So before you get too critical of the children of Israel, look at your own life. In Exodus chapter 15 and verse 25, And he cried unto the Lord, this being Moses, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he uh, had cast into the water, the waters were made sweet. There he made the, uh, for them uh, a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them. Now, this is, this is an incredible picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. Here the children of Israel are going through the desert. They, they've been without water for three days. And they, they come across water that's bitter. What, is the, what does God tell Moses? Cut down this tree, toss it in the river, and it's made sweet. That's a picture of the cross. What a beautiful picture. Because Jesus Christ can make the bitter sweet. And when, when our lives are turned upside down by tragedy, guess what Jesus can do in our lives? He can take tragedy and turn it into victory. He can take the bitter and make it sweet. 
And the reality is this. I can, I can go through, I know some of you, and I, I know what some of you are dealing with, but I don't know what everybody is dealing with. And I bet you we could go row by row by row, and we could see and have testimony of people that are dealing with things right now that we would sit there and go, oh man, I'm glad I'm not dealing with that. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ can make the bittersweet. So, after mourning, one of two things will happen. Letter A, we will become better. Letter B, we will, we will become better. Look at verse 6 again. David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his own son, for his daughter. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David sent unto Abathar the priest and Ahimelech's son. And I pray thee, bring me Hither the ephod, and uh, Abathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and with, without fail recover all. David turns to God and he says, God, what do you want me to do? Now, now, what, what would have been most of our reactions? I know what my action would have been. My reaction would have been. My reaction would have been, I'm going. But what does David do? David does two really important things right here. The first thing he does is he takes time to pray and ask God, what do you want me to do? See, David had the ability of taking his eyes off of the circumstances and putting them on God. And the first thing he does is, is he encourages himself in the Lord. He didn't, he didn't encourage himself in his, in his own military ability because David was a great warrior. He didn't encourage himself in the, in the fact that he knew he and his men could, could do and, and get everybody back. He, didn't, he, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He prayed and he asked God what to do. How do we keep from getting bitter? How do we keep our eyes focused on God in the midst of tragedy? There's a story, I've, I've, I've read it here before, and I, but I wanted to share it again because I, I feel like this, this story is so appropriate for the context of what we're talking about this morning. In 1984, a man named a young man named Bruce Good, Goodrich was being uh, initiated into the core uh, the core cadets at uh, Texas A&M University. 
One night, Bruce was forced to run until he dropped. But he never gave up. Bruce Goodrich died before ever entering college. A short time after this tragedy, Bruce's father wrote a letter to the administration, faculty, student body, and the Corps cadets. This is what he said. I would like to take this opportunity to express appreciation of my family for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University and college community over the loss of our son Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him by the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed during his brief time on campus. Mr. Goodwich ran on to say this, I hope it will be some comfort to know that we honor, or we, excuse me, we harbor no ill will in this matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer will be so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. What an incredible perspective. Here is a man who lost his son. I'm assuming loved him dearly. But yet had the ability to take tragedy, turn it into victory. When we allow ourselves to dwell on the negative, bitterness will always take root in our hearts. We will make mistakes by asking questions like this. I could never forgive that individual for what they did to me. Have you ever thought that? I hope not, but I've heard it. Pastor, you don't know what this person did to me, but I do know what bitterness will do to you. But I hate this person. Be careful with that. You know what Jesus calls hate? He calls it murder. And then there's always this one. I want to get even. It's no way to live. What happens when we say things like that? We allow the bitterness to take root. And we allow the bitterness to, to take away our focus 
from the things of God. And that becomes more important than God. And the circumstances of life control us. Fortunately, Moses, David, Mr. Goodrich, as we just read, decided not to dwell on the negative, but to try and find ways to find good things. As I, as I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, the family, I, I told you a story earlier about a family in North Carolina who in church lost everything while they were in church. What good could have come out of that? I, I don't know. I have no idea. But I can guarantee you this, if you give it over to God, something good will come of it. And many of us have been through incredible things. And we ask ourselves, well, what good could come from this? You know, And the answer is this, I don't know. But I know a God who is in control. And if we will let him be in control, then good things can come from it. I read this somewhere. I, I have no idea where I read this, but the, the, it, it's a question. And, and, the, and the, the, this is the question. What is the difference between better and bitter? What is the difference between better and bitter? Huh? One letter. One letter. I. I. I make the difference between being better or bitter. Yeah, that's probably a better word, choice. I make the choice between better and bitter. When we take our eyes off of Christ, who can take something bitter and make it sweet? I want to draw your attention back to verse 6. If you mark your Bible, let me, let me encourage you to, to do so. I want you to circle three uh, one word that's three letters because it changes the entire perspective of this verse. Near the bottom it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord, what? His God. His God. That is, a, that is a word that is identifying the fact that God was His God. He had a personal relationship with God. So when tragedy struck, David did not have to go to God and say, oh God, you know what, you've probably not, you know, this is Rick Lynn down here in Fernley. Yeah, we've not talked very much in the last couple of years, but, you, you know, anyway. No, what, what was, it was his God. He had a personal relationship with God. What an incredible thought. So when tragedy came, what did David do? David ran to his God. Not to a God, not to the God, but to his God. And it was his God that saw 
his tears. It was his God that heard his cry. It was his God who lifted the heavy burden that was weighing him down. His God. David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. And as I thought about this, I I thought of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. One incredible promise. Christ is the answer. Tragedy becomes tragic when we allow bitterness to win. Too often in our lives, that's exactly what happens. I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't have to. Again, I don't know why God had me preach this message. I have no idea. But I can tell you this. When tragedy does come into our lives, number one, allow yourself the opportunity to mourn. It it, it is physically helpful to us. But after the morning is done, don't let bitterness take over. Become better. And allow Christ to take something bitter and make it sweet. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. Lord, you are so good to us and so kind and so gracious. Lord, as we bring our service to an end, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. We're not going to have an invitation. In fact, we're not going to stand at all, but I am going to have Ashley play here in a minute. But I want to encourage you to do this. If God has spoken to your heart this morning, and there's something going on in your life that you know, I, I, I don't have the answers to that. I, I, you know, that's, that's between you and the Lord. But I, I just am convinced that there's someone here this morning that needed this message. Very possibly more than one person in this room needed this message this morning. I want you to take this just a moment right now as Ashley plays the piano. I want you to bow your heads, everybody, just bow your heads. And it could be that someone here just needs to do business with God. I don't know if it's a bitterness. I, I, I don't know. I have no idea what it is. But I do know this. If you need to talk to God, now is the time to do it.
Dear Almighty God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the work you do in our lives. Lord, we ask that as, as we leave this place this morning, that you would use this time together to speak to our hearts and encourage us and help us to be more like you. Thank you for all that you do. Amen.